Hello, hello. Welcome to Think, Feel, Eat, episode number 36. I am Donna Reich, your host, your teacher, and your coach. So I'm super excited. I know I'm always super excited. I'm super excited to bring you information about stress, cortisol, and weight management. So this is one of two. Um, and this week is going to be kind of what stress does, how cortisol responds, what it does for our weight loss, for our appetite, for our cravings, for our muscles, um, for our fat uh, in not so good ways. And the next week is going to be all about changing that landscape, right? How can we turn it around to make um, stress be in our favor? Now you've heard me talk over and over again about how we lose weight by being in a deficit. Okay. So it doesn't matter which protocol you're on. They all create a deficit, right? Every protocol creates a deficit. And so that you would think that since I say every protocol creates a deficit, you have to lose, create a deficit, deficit to lose weight, that it would be such that um, doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. That's not true, right? There are some other factors. There are other factors. The sleep episode last week, episode 35, 300 more calories burned in some research studies from people who slept 79 hours versus people who slept five, right? There, there, is, there are other things. Stress is another one that causes us to hold on to fat, causes us to crave, right? So, and then there are, of course, there's of course water, right? Flushing out fat, flushing out toxins um, and filling us up so that we don't eat as much. So there are other factors. There are definitely many, many factors that come into play with cravings and fullness and uh, causing us to overeat. Medicines, lots of things can cause us to over, overeat. As far as losing weight, the bulk of our weight loss will be focused on our deficit. But so that is to say, if you are getting a perfect amount of sleep, you have no stress, you've done everything right, but you're not in a deficit, you won't, you probably will not drop weight. Likewise, if you are um, doing uh, everything perfectly, but you don't sleep and you don't um, sleep well, you don't, and you don't reduce your stress and some of these other things, you may hold on to weight, right? These things are not the biggest things, but in keeping with the theme of the perfect storm, we want to put all of these things together to create the most ideal conditions for us to lose weight. All right, so here we go. Stress and cortisol defined. Stress, first of all, makes fat loss hard. And we're gonna see as we go through some of these studies why that is. Stress can be anything that threatens our safety, our status, our well-being. It can be anything that initiates physical or psychological demands that are above our ability to handle them. So, you know, you might've heard somebody say, I'm on the struggle bus today. And in other words, this is more than I can take, right? Um, I used to have an assistant who would say that to me. She was my assistant in teaching. Never heard it before. She said it to me. She was like, are you on the struggle bus today? I was like, what does that mean? So then it got to the point where I would tell her, I'm on the struggle bus front seat today. <laughs> She's so sweet and so cute. Anyway, my miss teaching with some of the uh, young, she was a young college girl who helped me out on my, some of my classes. Um, so above or beyond our ability to handle them. And that's not all the time. That just might be today. Maybe today, you know, like not today, please, not today, right? 
Um, stress can be unpredictable, any unpredictable change in environment. It can be, this is really important for those of us who still have not grasped and taken a hold of the think, feel, act cycle, think, feel, eat cycle. And that is, it can be an inconsistency between our expectations and our actual outcomes, right? That we have these expectations, our thoughts are, we want all of these things to happen, but they don't, They're, it's lower. And then this discrepancy can create a lot of stress for us, which is why we have to learn to control our thoughts, why we have to learn to be in charge of our brain rather than the other way around. Um, stress can be perceived or real. Another point two, the think, feel, eat cycle, right? Because sometimes we are creating stress by how we're thinking about something. And it might not really be real, right? You've always, you know, like borrowing trouble. That's one example of it, but not, not just that. It's just like, we're looking at this and this is so bad and so terrible. And when we maybe step back, maybe the next day, maybe someone points it out to us, we're like, hmm, I guess that wasn't as bad. But our perceived view of it caused our stress to be there different for all people. People have different thresholds for stress, right? I've always been the kind of person who can handle a lot of stress. So whenever I have something like a sickness or something like that, and it starts to take me down, I'm like, no way, because it's out of my control. Because usually I can just rise up and handle the stress. It's just like, you know, I had I homeschooled seven kids for 32 years. I learned how to handle stress, right? <laughs> um, and our response can be based on our experience of that stressor. So if something stressed us out before and it's coming again, we're like, oh no, I remember what happened before. Now, when stress occurs, we have emotional responses, right? We have feelings of uneasiness. We have impending doom. We have rumination where we just, you know, rehash it, rehash it, rehash it in our minds, in our emotions too. Uh, worry, desire to avoid the stress. And uh, we also have physiological responses. So um, you have probably heard about people doing something superhuman, right? So somebody lifted something, they lifted a car off. We have one of these passages in one of my writing books where Arnold, this man named Arnold, lifted this car off of a child and saved the child's life because of adrenaline, right? And so adrenaline is one of the physiological responses that we have to stress, but it's short. We like have an adrenaline rush right? Man, I was running a full adrenaline. You've heard that before, right? And so that is, um, we respond and rise to the challenge. Adrenaline and noradrenaline are both considered the fight or flight. Um, uh, I would say they're more chemicals and hormones, but anyway, the, the, the release of those. Um, and of course, this is why people are given adrenaline to wake them up. Right? Have you ever somebody's totally dead and somebody they put something in their heart or something like that? It just wakes up suddenly. Right? Okay, that may be only on television shows, but anyway, <laughs> um, that is why. And also, a physiological response to stress is cortisol. So adrenaline, noradrenaline, those are like really quick, you know, burst kind of short-term, um, almost heroic in their nature, and then they go down again, and so they don't—they're not really too bothersome to us, right? But cortisol, on the other hand, is released and it can stay high and it can wreak havoc on our health, our emotions, our mood, our stomachs, <laughs> our um, eating, our cravings, our 
weight loss, our weight, our holding on to fat, our fat loss, our ability to exercise and to carry out things, it can just really wreak havoc on it. All right, now I did want to mention, and I'm gonna put this in the notes, that um, I have learned a lot of the sleep and stress information from a course that I recently took by Ari Witten called uh, The Fat Loss Blueprint. So I just wanna mention that because it's just a fantastic course. And you know that when I, I've been learning how to weight coach, life coach, time management coach for 20 months now, or maybe 19 months. And as I learn, I bring it to you. And as I learn, I bring it to you. So I just wanted to make that um, shout out to him. It, was an, it, was, it is a remarkable course. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I'm also getting ready to do his next one, which was strength blueprint. So um, I'm learning more about strength training, which I do five, four times a week. So I really want to learn more about it. Okay, so cortisol in general. Cortisol uh, is a stress hormone. So when we think of hormones, we think of sex hormones, right? We think of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and things like that. Um, and then we also think of insulin, right? Because we hear a lot about that in intermittent fasting circles, how you want to keep your insulin low and things like that, um, which sometimes you do, but you don't always need to. But at any rate, otherwise we would never eat carbs if we really believe that we never need it, want our insulin up at all. And we would never eat um, protein without a lot of fat on it. If they really, really believe that insulin was the only way to lose weight, right? Um, and cortisol is another hormone, but it turns into a neurotransmitter. So it's, it starts out as a hormone that's released. Um, it's slow acting, but it's also long lasting. So like once we get our cortisol high, it's hard to get it down because it stays high for a while. Um, it's broken down in the body to give energy when needed, and it helps recovery when emergency is over. It suppresses inflammation. So that's one good thing about it, but all of the negatives that we see are, you know, we would, we could like not have so much inflammation if we didn't have the stress and the cortisol. So it's kind of like a, you know, there's a cycle there. Um, but we know that it suppresses uh, inflammation because what do people get when they're in pain? Cortisol shots cortisol creams, right? Uh, in the knees, a lot of people with knee issues get cortisol shots and it is to reduce the inflammation in the knee. But what do you also hear? Oh man, that cortisol shot, you know, that steroid shot, because this literally becomes a steroid. That's the neurotransmitter that it, that it turns into. It turns into a steroid. And what do we always hear? I had to go on steroids and I gained a lot of pain, a lot of weight. I had to go on steroids and I blimped up. I had to go on steroids and I, you know, uh, was all fluffy then, or I had to go on steroids and I gained 20 pounds, right? And it is because it's cortisol, right? It, it's steroids, steroids are cortisol. Cortisol is a steroid. All right, now, also when you hear about cortisol and it causing belly fat, it's important to note that the stomach has four times the number of cortisol receptors as any place else in the body. And thus, that is why we hear people say, or we, we often associate a lot of belly fat uh, with chronic stress and high cortisol because it's got all these receptors four times the other places in the body. And so like it's storing fat there. All right, now it's also important to note in cortisol in general, that cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline, they have all been needed 
in the past and, and we still need them now. Like if, if, if I'm looking out my window right now and if I saw a child running towards the road, I would want adrenaline to kick in. I would want to run out and, and go out there and grab that child before it got, he or she got to the road, right? So we want that to happen. But cortisol and stress are very different now than they were for early man. So we think about, you know, um, you know in ancient days, right? That they only had stress, they were thought to only have stress for shorter periods of time out on a hunt or when they were out. When they were in, they were thought to have been safe, right? And then they just, you know, if they had food, they ate, they uh, procreated, they rested, whatever. They didn't ponder everything like we do now, right? I mean, we think all the time. But then they had that adrenaline, noradrenaline when they, you know, when a, a lion was coming, they had cortisol go up when they were out in a hunt and something was, you know, they found, you know, and they were in danger. And then they would come back in and it would go back down. The difference with us is that we get stressed frequently, a lot of times from our thoughts. We get stressed frequently. And then we have high cortisol for longer periods. And sometimes we have high cortisol chronically. So we are just always, always having high cortisol if we are a stressed out kind of person. So yeah, there's a lot to be said for lowering our stress, right? Lowering our cortisol. All right, now moving into the hormones and neurotransmitters. All right, you hear me talk a lot about dopamine right? And how it's a habit and motivation chemical that's released, released in the brain and how we get releases of that whenever we have hyperpalatable foods or any type of pleasurable activity. And I even did a, a broadcast. Um, i trying to think of when that was, that I did a broadcast that was, um, I think it might've been over hunger versus over desire. Uh, 29 and 30 of Think, Feel, Eat. But I had a chart in there that showed these tens, all of these tens for dopamine. It was just like a man-made, a Donna-made number. Okay, so we have these numbers, number 10, that were all up the highest in dopamine for, for porn, for drugs, for alcohol, for hyperpalatable foods, for shopping, for gambling, um, for notoriety, a lot of times like actors and, and really famous people for fame, tens. And then we have other things that also release dopamine, but not so high. And those things are like rocking a grandbaby, taking a walk, taking a bubble bath, cuddling up with a book, watching your favorite show, right? And those things can't compete with the number 10. And so that's why I'm teaching a lot and I'm teaching in the drop eight pounds group. What can we substitute for these hyper palatable things that will come close enough without causing the addictive qualities of a high dopamine response, but close enough that we can just go, this is fine. This is good enough. I don't need that super, super high dopamine spike. So hormones and neurotransmitters. So stress hurts our weight loss efforts by taking down our two main communication paths, pathways, hormones and neuro neurotransmitters. So the neurotransmitters, they're like the dopamine, the serotonin, they, and they um, are used by the nervous system to transmit messages from the brain to the muscles, to the glands and all that. 
Hormones are also special chemical messages that are secreted in the blood and they travel to give messages as well. So when we have stress and we have high cortisol, it blocks that. And so that is where some of the overeating, some of the extreme cravings and some of those things come in. Um, so back to the dopamine and serotonin. Do dopamine, as I said, is that habit and motivation reward type of behavior type of, it's really more motivation and reward. Okay. And then we build the habits through it. Serotonin, on the other hand, is what we think of when we think of happiness. Oh, I have so much serotonin. I'm happy now. I'm going to get me some more serotonin, right? It, but it does a lot more than just that. It regulates brain development, has an effect on sleep, mood, memory, aggression. Um, but stress and cortisol release disrupts the serotonin uptake. So in other words, it's it going to the brain and, and transmitting the messages that we need. So chronic stress, chronic cortisol uh, leaves the body and the brain deprived of serotonin. So we can say, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I can see that my cortisol is really making me more depressed. My stress is making my anxiety. It's making my, my it's making me not clinical depression, but you know, it's making me more unhappy. It's making me not be happy with just regular things anymore things like that. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to try to increase serotonin, right? And I, I've taken products that help increase serotonin. Of course, antidepressants are one of those things, right? But there are also natural supplements that also work really well to um, give you an increase in your serotonin. But it just goes back to the concept of which would you rather do? Would you rather um, not would you rather be able to handle cravings or would you rather not have the cravings? So yeah, we can get help with serotonin and I'm not opposed to that. I think if somebody's depressed, they should go on an antidepressant if, if they feel led to, if, they, if their doctor says so and they feel like they should, right? No qualms at all. I was on PMS medicine a lot after my sixth baby, just for, for a long time after that. And no problems at all with that concept. But which is better to treat it, try to increase serotonin, take supplements, which are great, take medications if we need to, do the sunlight, do the grounding, do the meditation, do all these things, which they're all great. Or is it better to lower our stress and our cortisol so that it doesn't interfere in our serotonin as much? And we can do both, right? We can definitely do both, just like we do with eating. We're learning how to not have so many cravings. That was episode number 35, five ways to reduce cravings of think, feel, eat. We're learning how to not have as many cravings. We're also learning how to deal with cravings when we do have them. So let's put it together, guys. Let's put it all together for the complete package. Let's get ourselves in the very best possible state to lose weight, to maintain our weight loss, to feel good. All right. So um, also the, the cortisol can reduce that dopamine those dopamine spikes where we don't get so much enjoyment. You know how I said we get fives, like we're getting a five out of rocking a grandbaby or a five out of reading a book or something, or five out of taking a walk. Well, then all of a sudden we don't even get that anymore because of cortisol interfering in that dopamine spike that we would get from that. So of course this results in a, in a vicious loop. We talked about these vicious loops before, right? Where chronic stress causes lower levels of serotonin and dopamine, lower levels of serotonin and dopamine lead to more stress. More stress, lower, um, lower serotonin and dopamine 
lower serotonin and dopamine, more stress, Whew, right? It's hard to fix something when both areas that need fixed take some kind of superhuman power that we don't feel like we have. Now, knowledge can be power. Notice I didn't say knowledge is power. Knowledge can be power if it's applied. So it's really not knowledge is power, it's really knowledge when applied is power. And that's what I want to equip you with and empower you with. All right, so studying stress and cortisol. The best way that Ari Witten said, taught in his uh, course uh, to um, look at cortisol is through, look at high cortisol levels is through a disease called Cushing syndrome. And the reason is because Cushing syndrome is an elevated cortisol disease. So in other words, somebody with Cushing disease always has elevated cortisol. So they can study this very carefully. You know how I feel about studies that just, you know, your cortisol is a little high, your cortisol is a little high, take three people and see what happens, right? Those are not scientific and robust and dependable studies. But with the um, Cushing syndrome, their cortisol is always elevated because they have this disease that causes it to be always elevated. So they're really good subjects for researchers to study to see the effects of high cortisol, right? Because um, high stress causes cortisol to be released. So when you have a group of subjects who always have high cortisol, you can see what that's doing to their bodies. So it's, it's really helpful to do that. They have two main, um, Cushing syndrome has two main telltale signs um, which aren't obviously you'd have to be diagnosed, but I mean, if somebody has Cushing's, one is a giant hump between the shoulder blades and the other one is a protruding abdomen or stomach obesity. Again, because of all the cortisol, right? So um, even though they have high cortisol, not because of stress, they do have it chronically. So that is why we can study them. Um, high levels of cortisol generally result High levels result, I have a typo there, subject verb agreement problem, you don't have to fix it right away. You know how I feel about editing. All right, so high levels of cortisol are general, general results, general, I'm gonna fix it later, uh, in with weight. Okay, so high levels of cortisol, again, from these Cushing syndrome people is that First of all, it interferes with hormones like your growth hormone, your thyroid hormone, your sex hormone, et cetera, leading to muscle loss and fat gain. So another thing we're going to see as we go through here is it's not just more cravings. It's not just less dopamine, less happiness and less serotonin. It is very, very real things that have a direct correlation to our ability to lose weight, to manage our weight, to maintain a weight loss. And Guys, that is why a lot of people had so much weight gain during COVID, right? I mean, all that stress. I mean, some people say it was boredom, but also there's a lot of stress and a lot of fear right, associated with it. So I wouldn't be surprised if people's cortisols are off the wall during COVID over the last, during the shutdown, especially, um, or the, the quarantine. Okay, so obese people have higher levels of cortisol. Right. So this is just comparing obesity. This is just correlating obesity and, and um, cortisol. Then we're going to have muscle loss. So we're going to have emotional eating. So obesity and cortisol. Obese people have higher cortisol levels. Okay. Good study of 10,000 adults. 
and they uh, studied the relationship between obesity and higher cortisol levels. It was 10 years long. Um, well, wait a minute, that's a different one. Sorry, let me go up to back up to this one. Um, this 10,000 adults uh, found a correlation, okay? So, you know, we have correlation, not causation, right? But enough correlation repeated with some causation in there as well, you know, will, will, will reveal itself. So, um, especially when they're robust studies and a lot of um, a long-term or a lot of people and humans and so forth. Okay, so the, this study of 10,000 adults found a distinct relationship between obesity and higher cortisol levels. Okay, then there was an, another one, Harvard Medical School over 10 years, and it had 13 men and women, and um, they found uh, high weight gain in stress for job-related stresses. So it's important to note that the stress that causes our cortisol to rise can be something, I don't want to say imagined, can be something we think that's happening. It can be something that we are afraid will happen. It can be something that did happen. It can be something that is, you know, body, physical health, family, job, I mean, any kind of stress. And it's also important to note that, it, that a lot of things, and we're gonna talk about this a lot more, um, uh, write this note down. It's important to note that stress can be caused by foods. Stress can be caused by overexercise. Stress can be caused by not resting enough. Stress can be caused by the wrong types of exercise. We can actually think we are doing ourselves a favor by doing two hours at the gym only to really have raised our cortisol levels and cause ourselves to be set back in our weight loss instead of move forward. Isn't that wild? So anyway, um, so job-related stress, all kinds of stress. Um, and of course, the more stress, the more cortisol, the more cortisol, the more body fat, the more body fat leads to more stress. Another vicious loop, right? So that vicious loop was um, stress, cortisol, body fat, body fat leading to more stress, cortisol, right? Because how many of us get so stressed when we can't fasten our clothes, when we start to gain weight, when we look in the mirror when we're gaining, right? So we have a lot of ways there that we can um, cause stress through and then cause that cycle to continue as our body fat increases. All right, muscle loss and cortisol, all right? Uh, cortisol hampers, again, these were studying the Cushing syndrome people, so um, they, they always have elevated cortisol. So elevated cortisol hampers muscle gain and increases muscle loss, okay? So let's take this separate. The first one is hampers protein synthesis so you aren't processing protein well. I mean, that's like a total bummer for me because I am working very hard to get my 90 grams of protein in every day because I'm working out and I'm trying to uh, get that metabolism booth, boost from protein and I'm trying to get the fullness from protein and, and just everything good that protein does. But here, if our cortisol levels are too high, 
our protein synthesis is actually hampered so that we don't even process that protein well to build our muscle. So it interferes in muscle building. And then the second part is the breakdown of muscle tissues. So the one can stop us from processing protein to build muscle. The other problem is that it can increase the breakdown of muscle tissue, right? Which is something we don't want to do. Um, there are a lot of things that can cause us to break down muscle. And when you hear somebody who ends up after a weight loss experience, they end up what people are calling skinny, uh, skinny fat means they're skinny, but they don't, but they don't look good or, you know, they still have fat, but they, they weigh the right amount and stuff. That is often because the diet was so extreme. The diet was so extreme that the diet was so extreme that it caused, um, that it caused the person to burn through muscle rather than fat. Wouldn't that be a bummer? work so hard and, and, you know, get to your goal weight only to realize that you have no muscle left <laughs> or not no muscle, but you know, it's kind of an extreme thing. But um, anyway, that, that is, so that's a two pronged thing that's happening with cortisol muscle, not being built and not utilizing the protein and muscle being broken down. And of course we know that muscle loss muscle is imperative for metabolism, strength and activity, as well as aging. Well, so we really, really want to to really guard our muscles. I am on a muscle mission. I am determined to have a lot of muscle. I'm determined to get rid of my fat, the rest of my fat as much as possible and get as much muscle as I can to be strong, to have a higher metabolism, to be able to eat a little bit more, to um, look better, to wear certain clothes, to be able to be strong as I age, right? I, the, the things that are in my control, I want to do. And those are, and that includes muscle for me. All right. So here we go, guys. Next is emotional eating. Chronic stress affects appetite. So guys, we've had so many things that it affects, right? We had it affecting cortisol and stress, affecting our um, uh, interfering in our dopamine and our serotonin, which is our desire to do things, our motivation, as well as our happiness a lot of times. Um, it is associated with weight in general, just higher weight. Now, how that's happening, if that's happening through muscle loss, if that's happening through cravings, if that's happening through uh, holding on to more fat, you know how that's happening, but it is uh, associated with weight. Um, it is associated with um, all types of um, obesity and all, all types of stresses are related to obesity. And it's re associated with losing muscle and also not gaining muscle when you're trying to. So finally then, we have two other things that are both kind of related and that is chronic stress affecting appetite. All right, I really wanted to stay under 35 minutes today. All right, emotional eating, chronic stress affecting appetite. 2016 study by Healthcare Department of Metropolitan Auto Autonomous University. And uh, this study was created to observe the relationship between obesity, depression, and emotional eating. So obesity, depression, and emotional eating. 1,500 people 
And the results were that there was an inability to cope with depressive, that an inability to cope with depressive stress led to emotional eating and greater body weight. So again, we don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the dopamine, the serotonin, the, the good chemicals, they're all being blocked so that we cannot manage our stress, right? And that uh, cortisol is keeping us um, in a depressive state, which leads to emotional eating and greater body weight. All right, another one, American Psychological Society in 2007, 1,848 adults, 43% showed that stress was causing these in the study cause people to eat too much. So remember we have over hunger and we have over desire. That is episodes 29 and 30 of Think Feel Eat. We have over hunger and we have over desire. So this is eating too much, but we're also going to see that we can, we also crave really calorie dense foods because of this as well. So those are the two things that lead to our overeating is over hunger and over desire, right? And if cortisol is interfering in those, we're going to have weight loss issues. All right, now this was really, really interesting. Um, and I took this out and put it back in because I was afraid I'd run out of time. But I just feel like so many of us who have been long-term dieters and who are you know, 40 and above for sure, um, we have a lot of stress eating habits. And the research is so intriguing on this because come to find out that people who are very restrictive, who have tried a lot of restrictive diets, who have tried to just restrain, restrain, restrain through many different food protocols that were too hard for them, too strict for them, not enough wiggle room, not enough foods they like, you know, that restraining, that restriction that we are we have a higher susceptibility to stress-induced eating. And researchers believe that it is caused by rigid control of eating behaviors. And you stop and think, what do we say all the time? I was doing great. I was down to 900 calories a day. I didn't eat any sugar. I didn't eat any fat. I only ate, you know, non-carby vegetables. I didn't really eat that, you know, I, I, I just, you just pile on a pile on a pile on a pile on all of the different list of things that you were doing that were so restrictive. You're just a diet, you know, uh, maniac, right? You're just a superhero, diet superhero, superheroine. Anyway, you are, you were one of those. Notice I say were, because then what happens? And then I just couldn't take it anymore. And I fell off the wagon. Come to find out research proves that it is because we try too rigid of dieting standards. Isn't that wild? That's why guys, I am so bent in the drop eight pounds group, so bent on teaching you how to create a protocol that you can live with, how to create a protocol that you can do forever. That's your new life that you don't go off and on. You don't fall. You don't slip. You don't slide. You don't need to, because this is your new life. And it's my husband and I have been doing this really, really strongly for the last several months. Most of you know, we lost 220 pounds together. 120 of it was for him was 120. His 120 was over the last three years. 50 of my hundred was over the last couple of years, two years or so. And 
prior to that, I lost 50 over a long period of time. Slow loser. Ha! Nobody has a slow loser reward over me, award over me. And the one thing that we have done over the last several months is learn to eat, learn to live in a way that maintains this 220 pound off. That's all we've done. And yeah, we both want to lose 20 more pounds. Well, I think he only has 15 to go. He's beating me again. But we both want to lose these last 15 to 20 pounds. But we had to learn how to live here. We had to learn how to maintain this drastic loss, how to maintain this size that we are right now. And it took us a long time to learn that. Right. And it, we didn't learn it through these rigid dietary measures. Now, sometimes I'll talk about what my husband eats and it sounds really rigid and really uh, restrained and things, but that fits him. It fits him to eat at home fruits, vegetables, eggs, lean meat, um, beans, pretzels, and popcorn. Right. It fits him to eat three to five pounds of vegetables every night and a pound of fruit every day. That fits him because that's how he likes to eat. He loves food volume. I, on the other hand, could care less about volume. Give me two slices of my favorite pizza and I'll be happy forever, right? So we have learned what it takes to maintain. And it wasn't through rigidity. It, we, we can't do it through that because then we go off and we go back on, we go off and we go back on. So flexible control of eating behaviors, um, inflexible, uh, no, flexible control of eating behavior leads to less stress eating. Mic drop, right? We would have less stress eating, less stress caused by our diet, which raises cortisol which causes more stress eating, causes us to fall off, to go off, to quit, to give up if we had a less rigid approach. Okay, stress eating in general. We have to understand that stress and food, stress and food scarcity were common for early man, okay? They might not eat for a long period of time, which is why a lot of anthropologists and researchers believe that intermittent fasting is, it, is so similar to that time. Now it's not similar to our world today. That's why we have to really work hard to learn how to do it, right? It's not easy nowadays because we have food at our fingertips all the time, but stress and food scarcity were common for early man, that combination like stress over having enough food. And thus we were programmed to seek calorie dense, highly palatable foods anytime we're stressed. Stress alters the brain and motivation pathways like that dopamine and serotonin that I talked about earlier that keep us seeking these foods. The, one of the main differences, as I mentioned earlier, is that we, they had uh, bursts of adrenaline and shorter term cortisol highs, but we have daily stressors that keep our cortisol levels up. Our stress stays high, the brain reward and motivation pathways are all broken down. And so we just seek highly palatable, highly palatable food. And of course, food is so easy to get and that also leads to overweightness. So now you can see why I divided this into two because there's only half, why I divided it into two. Guys, there are a lot of things, girls, gals, levies, there are a lot of things that 
we can do to change our lives? A lot of things. We just have to have the knowledge and then the wherewithal in how to apply it. That's what I'm gonna teach next week. We have to know how can I bring my cortisol levels down? What do I need to do to reduce my stress? It's not enough just to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this, I'm gonna stop that, put band-aids on it, right? We have within our power the ability to sleep if we train our bodies to sleep. The ability to fast if we train our bodies to fast, even just timed uh, eating of, you know, fasting 14, 16 hours a day even. We have the ability to train our bodies to want less hyperpalatable food. We have the ability to lower our stress so that we don't hold on to belly fat. We don't ruin our muscle. We don't interrupt our serotonin. We don't thwart our dopamine so that we only want hyperpalatable foods and we don't love rocking our grandbabies anymore. This is all within our power and I wanna help you do it. I'm learning how to do it. I've, I've learned so much. I'm so, I, I just wrote down a new episode that I'm gonna be doing what I don't do anymore. I'm like, wow, I'm a different person in so many ways. And it wasn't that I was a horrible, terrible, awful person before. It's just that now I'm doing things that I want to do for myself. And I want to help you do that too. All right. So join us. Drop eight pounds by Christmas. DonnaReach.com forward slash eight, the number eight pounds by Christmas. Or just go to DonnaReach.com and you'll see it as one of the headers. This outline, this detailed outline, the uh, audio, the video, all of that will be sent to your inbox if you're subscribed to DonnaReach.com next Wednesday. So thank you for joining me. It is a pleasure to teach you, to coach you, and to be your friend on Think, Feel, Eat.